Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook, the first ever episode of the Political Notebook. I'm your host, Billy Robb, a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist with the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. So the news of the day that we're going to talk about is what everyone's talking about, Jeff Flake announcing that he's not going to seek re-election in 2018. And I guess I was very surprised by uh, this announcement. I had um, become a Jeff Flake fan, and reading his book, I was inspired. I thought that he was uh, kind of ready to take on the, the Trumpism, I guess, wing of the of the Republican Party. Um, he had been speaking out consistently ever since, I think, ever since Trump's early announcement. Yeah. And he got some backlash from it. Uh, Trump had gone after him on, on Twitter a couple times. And at the rally here in Phoenix, he didn't mention him by name, but he did talk about him, call him weak on borders and, um, and things like that. But in the announcements, um, he says, and I'm going to quote here from his from announcement speech, kind of explaining why he's not seeking re-election. He says, uh, it is clear at this moment that a traditional conservative who believes in limited government and free markets, who is devoted to free trade, and who is pro-immigration, has a narrower and narrower path to nomination in the Republican Party, the party that for so long has defined itself by belief in those things. And you wrote earlier, uh, just briefly after the announcement, um, that, that that point that he made was not proven in the polls. He said that... At the ballot box. At the ballot box. There have been right. other elections that that's not known for sure. And, you know, pe- people are talking about whether, you know, this move was cowardice and just bowing out and whether he should go, go fight. But you wrote that you saw it as a kind of a principled stance. And he wrote, too, about not wanting to be complicit in the ugliness of, of what's going on. Uh, my question was for you, you know, is, that, is this him saying that he's got a narrow and narrower path and, and kind of bowing out, um, is that kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy? So he's, he's saying there's, there's not a path for me, normal, traditional Republican in the age of Trump. And instead of fighting and, and trying to seek reelection, he's saying, I'm, I'm getting out of politics, I'm getting out of this fight. So is, I mean, is by doing this, is he turning over the party essentially to, to Trumpism and what he's seeking to fight against? Well, I don't think that he um, was uh, accurate in saying that Republicans who believe in limited government, um, free markets, free trade, uh, don't have a path to winning a Republican primary. The key for Flake in the state of Arizona was the, pl- the pro-immigration part of it. There also is clearly a hunger among Republican primary voters for people who will support President Trump. Um, exactly what they expect from that uh, is not clear, but there is that expectation. So it wasn't, it's not limited government, it's not free markets, it's not even free trade, even though Trump's an avid uh, protectionist. Uh, for Flake, what blocked his path was uh, pro-immigration and um, being willing to attack uh, Trump when he thinks that he is being uh, vile and uh, contrary to the norms of um, 
civilized discourse in American politics. Um, I don't. I, I think that there was a variety of factors that entered into Flake's decision. I think it was in part political calculation. Uh, his numbers look bad, uh, and uh, there really uh, was. Uh, perhaps no path, although I think it might be premature to have concluded that. But I also think that he believes that now is the time to stand up for those elements of Trumpism that he finds offensive, and that he would be more effective in doing that without the static of his own prospects for re-election in 2018. Uh, so uh, rather than retreat from the fight, uh, I think uh, in uh, Flake's mind, he has set himself up to fight more effectively and better over at least the next 14 months that he has in office. So then what then does he expect from his colleagues? Because one of the things he said as well is uh, we have to do more to act. He said uh, something about we need to speak out more when Trump says things that are offensive and uh, against the norms and the principles that we stand for as Americans. But he also said we need, to, we need to act and we need to do something, almost directing that to his colleagues. He's been speaking out. Uh, but what else, what else can be done you know, at, the, at the congressional level to, to fight that, that he wants his, his colleagues to do more of? Well, this is the dilemma that uh, elected Republicans, particularly in Congress, face. On the one hand, there is very much a shared agenda uh, between the traditional Republicans and Trump in terms of policy. Um, there was mutual desire to repeal and replace Obamacare. Um, there has been strong support and congressional action on Trump's uh, deregulation agenda. They, um, Congress and the president are generally on the same page. Uh, with respect to uh, tax reform. Um, so you don't want to jeopardize your ability to get those things done. Uh, and uh, Flake's been supportive of the president's agenda on those kind of items which he agrees with. I think what Flake is calling on his colleagues to do is to uh, be willing when Trump's behavior uh, violates what Flake regards as the norms of political uh, discourse, uh, to be more vocal uh, in uh, disagreeing and even condemning it. Um, that's a difficult balance uh, to, to, to strike, to, to not undermine the president's um, capacity uh, to help with a mutually shared agenda, while simultaneously um, trying to disassociate the party uh, from uh, his more vile behavior on the political front. So they have the same goals. They have many Flake of the same goals. I mean, I mean, Flake has serious disagreement with Trump on uh, free trade and immigration. And one of the questions is whether the Republican Party um, on free trade it now shares uh, Trump's protectionism. There is some polling evidence that that's true. On immigration, and I more agree with Flake than Trump on immigration, um, the Republican Party, at least the primary, uh, those that participate in Republican primaries, 
have always been more on Trump's side's side than Flake's. But this isn't a change. It's just an issue on which it was actually Flake that's been kind of outside the mainstream. But it seemed like the Republican Party was going going in that direction. And you look at the look at the people that were the primaries. George, uh, or excuse me, Jeb Bush. Um, you know, talked about how go- coming into the into the country from Mexico is an act of love, and after the, you know, after the, you know, the previous election where Romney lost, kind of the the assessment of the of the party was, hey, we need to get more, you know, more accepting of of immigration as a policy. It seemed like they were going to do more uh, to to court the Latino vote, and I guess the populism of of Trump just kind of derailed that whole. No, I I, I don't think. I don't think Trump created the sentiment. Um, Republican primary voters have always been um, skeptical of, if not outright hostile to, uh, providing legal status to those who broke our laws uh, to enter our country. Um, He simply um, expressed it uh, a little bit more vulgarly and offensively uh, than others. But that has been um, the sentiment of Republican primary voters, and most Republicans who win Republican primary elections for some time. On that particular issue, it was Flake that was outside the rank-and-file Republican mainstream, not not Trump. Um, it hasn't been, particularly in Arizona, uh, disqualifying. It doesn't mean that you can't win a Republican primary. Obviously, Flake won a Republican party. John McCain won a Republican primary. But both of them in their election campaigns uh, stressed uh, security and at least um, said that they believed that you had to do border security first uh, before you even got around to discussing legalization. Uh, Both of them didn't follow through Mm -hmm. on that distinction um, once they got past their elections. And that might be another holdup for some version of the dream act passing is that is that desire for security in addition to any um leeway or any concessions given to those who are already here that are undocumented it it may i i don't think in the final push that it will be um it's simply different uh for uh, children who are brought here um by their parents um, they didn't consciously uh, make the decision to break our immigration laws to be here. Um, they aren't familiar with another country. Uh, and I believe that ultimately you will see them given some kind of legal status. Uh, Trump initially seemed to be open to that with relatively minor um, uh, enforcement provisions attached with it. He subsequently issued a laundry list of demands uh, that included the whole planopy of immigration enforcement actions which he ran on. Uh, those You're, you're not going to get a bill uh, which has all of those things and legal status for the um, dreamers. So ultimately, Republicans in Congress are going to have to decide whether they are going to act on the dreamers on their own uh, or they're not. Uh, And I think particularly Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan 
will decide to act on behalf of the Dreamers before uh, the March deadline approaches um, with a six-month hiatus that, uh, or, or space that uh, Trump created in his decision to rescind um, yeah. President Obama's executive order. I guess there's plenty on the table before that, before that deadline comes in that people are well, scrambling you, around for. Well, you also have deadlines for funding the federal government approaching in in early December. Uh, those are going to require Democratic votes. Um, some kind of legal status for DREAMers, I would anticipate, would be one of the Democratic requirements uh, for providing those votes. And um, I think that there is a large segment of uh, Republican members of Congress um, who believe that the DREAMers are just different. Right. And uh, some kind of legal status needed, needs to be provided, even if you don't get much in the way of enforcement measures as part of that. And that's where the argument gets into maybe the moral question of, you know, when you talk about parents who've come here and, and brought children at a very young age that don't know any other country, you know, it comes, okay, yeah, politically, you know, maybe this is technically illegal. But morally, we know that you know, it's right to have them stay in the only country that they've known. And that's, that's again, how, how Flake seems to, to frame his, his perspective here is that this is a moral question, that our children, our grandchildren are watching us. What are we going to say that we did when Trump is just absolutely breaking all the norms, violating all principles of, of dignity um, in a, you know, almost like a horrific way, especially from the leader of the free world, supposedly, um, and someone we've already seen, always seen as someone to count on as a moral, as a moral leader. So is it in this, in that sense, you know, whether it's the, whether it's the dream act, um, or it's a greater question of, yes, you have the same goals as Trump in some ways, as a conservative, as a Republican, do you compromise in all the rest of the vulgarity, the attacks on the, you know, first amendment that he's, that he's made, um, through social media, attacking the media's credibility. Well, I, I don't. Re I regard that as an exercise of his First Amendment rights. He, he's, he's not tried to censor anybody. He, he made the boneheaded comment about um, looking at licenses, um, uh, but um, I don't like the way he exercises his First Amendment rights. But the uh, media have a right to say what they want to about him, and he has the right to respond in kind about what he thinks about the media. But it seems like, especially coming from a president, it seems like his goal is to totally discredit news sources that are that are critical of him. I don't know if there's any other litmus test for what he's going to say is fake news other than it sheds him on a bad light. That's certainly true, uh, but it's also true in my judgment um, that the media have, have not, that, that he doesn't get a fair shake, uh, either on policy or on uh, substance and style. But coming back to Flake, um, the, the two things that he uh, singled out in his speech and in his book that he finds morally offensive um, about the way that Trump practices politics is his scapegoating uh, and belittling. And I think what Flake believes his colleagues should do 
is to make a distinction and support Trump on policy where they agree, but be more willing uh, to uh, denounce uh, Trump's actions uh, when he uh, scapegoats and belittles. What is that going to do? Every time he says something really offensive, like he, you know, he said some comment about a, a TV talk show host, like getting plastic surgery. I'm just so, so grotesque that it's embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing from a from a president. Almost every day, there's something that I'm embarrassed about. Well, well, what is just saying, oh, that's bad. Don't do that. That's wrong. And what I mean, what does that do? Um, that's a good question. It clearly isn't going to change. Trump's behavior. Um, there was some question about whether when he was elected, uh, he would act more presidential. Um, I think that answer has been, uh, that question has been pretty clearly answered. He's going to do what he does. He thinks it's successful. It is who he is. Um, so uh, what it does uh, is disassociate the party uh, in part uh, from that kind of behavior. Uh, what does that do? Well, that's a good question. Uh, but as, the, as there's debate over what the Republican Party stands for in terms of substance, um, there's also what does the Republican Party stand for in terms of the way in which it practices uh, politics. And if you go back to your previous question about the Republican Party needing to reach out, uh, particularly given the changing demographics of um, the country, how you talk about these issues become important. Uh, whether you are enunciating principles that might have broad appeal, uh, or whether you're degrading people in a way that uh, divide uh, and isolates the Republican Party from the changing demographics in the United States. Uh, but I don't think that's, I don't think those practical considerations are why uh, Flake is calling for his colleagues to speak out more. It's just that when something's wrong, and it's that seriously wrong, Flake believes that there is a moral obligation to say it. Uh, and um, it is that part of the way Trump practices politics that led to the book, that led to him not to run for re-election uh, in order to free himself to uh, do more of that. And I guess maybe the question is how serious of a harm or threat do you think Trump and his behavior is to the country? I mean, maybe, you know, if you're willing to, if you don't, if it's just a spell and it's some bad behavior that's going to be you know last for his term or two terms and then and then go away maybe you're willing to just okay that's bad and but we we still want tax cuts and we still want deregulation and we still want supreme court judges so let's let's just go along with it maybe flake thinks that same thing that like hey i i can i can participate over here you guys fight the fight there i just i'm just wondering you know at what point are you saying this is these norms being violated can't go back and so we need to do something more serious or not participate or not be complicit, as Flake says, in a more serious or alarmed you know, fight. This may be naive optimism, uh, but I uh, don't believe that the American people will have a stomach for this kind of behavior 
from the Oval Office uh, over the longer term. Trump won the presidency fair and square. He won the Republican primary fair and square under our uh, electoral college system. He won the presidency fair and square. His style was one of the reasons why he won that. Uh, there were uh, a sufficient number of Americans um, who were tired of politics as usual, who wanted a wrecking ball in the White House, um, someone who wouldn't be politically polite, wouldn't talk the jargon, uh, would try to shake things up. I, I don't, I, I think it will become fairly clear fairly quickly uh, that governing by bombastic um, tweets doesn't work. I think his superficial leadership, the fact that he couldn't engage on the substance of the issues, uh, and uh, he um, <laughs> were attacking uh, his potential votes, is one of the reasons why uh, the repeal and replacement of Obamacare failed. I'm actually anticipating the same thing's going to happen on tax reform. Hmm. Uh, so, um, I, I don't think this is the kind of behavior in the Oval Office that the American people want long-term. I think Trump was elected at a particular time for a particular reason, and as it becomes increasingly clear uh, that his kind of leadership doesn't produce results either, um, I think the American people will look for a little bit more decorum in their president. Well, I hope to share the optimistic view. I hope that cleanse ends up playing out. I think a lot of it will depend on how, how people continue to respond and at, at what point you get sick of trying to pass a pass some important bill and you got a president playing around with trucks, honking horns for photo shoots and tweeting at, you know, NFL yeah, players and yeah, at what point does that all, all, all presidents <laughs> have, have played the photo shoot game um, pretty big time. Um, but, but one of the, the other questions uh, is what kind of behavior is this happening? It, it, what kind of effect does this behavior have on young voters, um, right. your, your peers and, and colleagues? I mean, Ronald Reagan um, was the leading president of my young adulthood. And um, he set a standard on, on what politics were about. Uh, that shaped the views of a generation. Um, obviously, Trump doesn't have a large appeal to young voters, um, but what is he doing to the attitude of young voters about politics in general? I think that's still playing out. I mean, I, I'm having conversations with my with my high school kids in government class, and you know, from from where we sit, there's. Um, a lot of shock at first when when he was first, you know, coming up, and I think it's um, maybe jaded or anger. I think this is still it's kind of still kind of still playing out in the new world with the media, and people are just hearing different things, and you could be in totally different universes in terms of what news you have and what your perceptions are, and I think it's kind of a wide open, you know, wide open thing of you know, what what leaders are going to step up and capture the capture the attention of the young people and and all that. Uh, you brought up uh, Reagan. Is there any? I was just wondering, is there any historical precedent to the fact that you got a president who's almost having a mutiny amongst? And I wouldn't say mutiny, but in the last week, you had George, former President George W. Bush, you had John McCain, you had Jeff Flake, Bob Corker, all 
maybe not by name, except for Bob Corker, but just blasting the the sitting president of their of their own party. Can you think of anything remotely similar to what's going on right well, now? Re- Republicans in the House did largely vote to impeach Richard Nixon, so that was a pretty sharp internal uh, division. There's never been a president like Trump. There's been presidents that had boorish behavior, but it was always in private. Um, I, I don't know that Lyndon Baines Johnson was any nicer of a person than Donald Trump, but um, he kept it all... Uh, behind closed doors. So this is new and different. And uh, you've also never had a president that only had one political uh, mode of operation that was attack, 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 no persuasion, no attempt to make the case. Um, So this is uncharted territory for the country, um, for the members of Congress, and even the electorate. Well, i got one last historical question for you. Um, have you read all the released JFK assassination files yet? <laughs> no, I haven't. You're going to get to that next for your next call? <laughs> Probably not. That's, that's never been a, um, a, a topic that uh, has intrigued me the way it has so many people. Um, with his taste for conspiracy theories, it'll be interesting to see what Trump tweets out about them. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening. And hopefully see you maybe next week. Uh, you can tune in uh, on SoundCloud right now. We're hoping to get it on iTunes soon. We'd love to hear your feedback, though. You can email on robpodcast at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-B podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.